Low Light. Episode 7 Mouse Mania. The air in the cul de sac is tainted with diesel fumes as Lance hauls himself out of his extremely large and extremely black, and it has to be said, extremely shiny, four-wheel drive SUV-type vehicle. Shirley's front door opens across from him, and he freezes momentarily, but then relaxes as he sees it's only Gavin putting the milk bottles out. Gav, says Lance. Lance, says Gav. Lance gives a benevolent smile as he turns to go indoors. Gavin, joined by Reg, watches him go. Gavin, will you shut that door? It's freezing! Gavin steps inside the house, closing the old front door softly. The door has dropped on its hinges so that the rectangle of glass is tipped to one side. Gavin looks at it, the soft orange glow of the streetlight seeming to push him gently back. He turns and heads to the rear of the house. Panko, Shirley's cat, is installed halfway up the stairs, looking very pleased with himself. Gavin stops and assesses his chances of getting past with his skin intact. Then he takes a breath and considers. He has made a new friend. Many times he's met Eric, at various community events or at the pub or passing in the street. He always thought the old man didn't like him, but now he's in Eric's confidence. Is that a good thing, given what Eric has confessed to him? It was like a confession. Was it just that Gavin happened to be the one stood next to him when he was in distress? Would he have confided in Shirley, had she been there instead? Gav, he starts. Coming, he says, but he stays where he is. He takes just a little moment to frown in the darkness to himself. Then he eyes Panko again and smiles. He loves being in Shirley's house. It's smaller than his place, shabbier. It smells faintly of cat pee, and there must be at least a dozen spiders hanging about in every room waiting to catch a ride on your head. The heating system has a difficult sense of humour, and the furniture bears the marks of many a Reg Panko debate. But he'd rather be here. He'd rather be here in the cramped rooms, wrapping his scarf around himself in defence of one or more drafts, than on his own and away from Shirley. He thanks his stars he has this evening. It's a bonus, given the way things had been left yesterday morning. It was all over, not that it was anything much. The warmth of Shirley's voice wanders through, past the cracked paint and the dusty pictures, catching on the tufts of hall carpet the cat has pulled artfully up. He sighs, pushing his hands deeper into his pockets. Gav, what are you doing? Shirley is in front of him, real and warm and frowning. Sorry, just negotiating Panko's passport control. Not sure I've got the right visa. She looks at her cantankerous cat. You won't have, 
Panko's in favour of taking back control for the benefit of cat kind, although I wasn't sure the hard border at the foot of the stairs was actually in force yet. She turns back to Gavin, her eyes tired but glittering a little in the low light spilling in from the street. If only he could just reach out and... Come on, it's getting cold, she says, antenna picking up Gavin's inner monologue, it seems. Yep, Gavin says, not moving. Come on then, she says gently. Yeah, surely, can we, you know, can we talk? Well, I think Kat should stay, but I'll send her up early, so we can. Yeah, yeah, we can. Gavin smiles. He waits for Shirley to turn towards the kitchen and with one eye on Panko, slides past to claim his plate of leftovers a la Shirl. Always a lottery, but oh, when it's good. And tonight will be one of those nights, he's sure of it. He sits down and rubs his hands together. Shirley hates it when he does that. She tries to suppress the feeling and paints on a smile. Seeing it, Gavin takes heart. Yes, it has to be said that despite the awful events of last night and his new friend's crazy prophecies, also the various injuries inflicted mainly by Reg, Gavin has really enjoyed the past 24 hours. Now he feels guilty for thinking that and frowns at himself. Cat is staring at him, fork held mid-air, with a look of something approaching disdain. Gavin has always felt that Cat dislikes him. He's not wrong. He rallies, straightens his face bravely. So, do you think you'll be able to get some work now, you back, Cat? Why? Why? Gavin chews. Money, I suppose, you know, makes the world go round. I'm all right for money at the moment, thanks for asking. Really? Won the lottery, have you? No. What's it to you, anyway? Children, warns Shirley. I thought you'd have told him, anyway, Cat says to Shirley. Oh, the martyrdom of the middle child. Shirley rolls her eyes. Told me what? Probably better not to go round telling everyone, Cat, eh? I'm not everyone. What haven't you told me? Ah, oh, doesn't sound like you're in the inner circle after all, Gav. What's going on, Shirl? Gavin says, eyes popping. Can we just have some peace for five minutes and eat something before we start dissecting everything that's happened? Shirley continues to eat her food. Reg watches on, hopefully. She stops, mid-forkful. Eat or don't eat, Gavin. When Kat's gone to bed, we can talk. Oh, OK. I know when I'm not wanted. Kat takes her plate and bustles out of the kitchen. There's no need to... Shirley gives up. What's going on? You know you can always talk to me. You can trust me. I'd never betray your confidence. He sounds a bit hurt. Yeah, I know. God. Well, yeah, you can. Hey, what is it? I'm not keeping anything from you, you daft sod. I just haven't got round to telling you yet, that's all. What? She sighs and tells Gavin about the blackmail, about the cash and the now-missing phone. Jeez, says Gavin, 
Yeah, says Shirley. Jeez. Do you think Tanya suspects her? Well, not only her. I think she's keeping her eyes and ears open, but I'd lay money on Kat being on her shortlist. I mean, did you see them at each other in the theatre? Why can't Kat just be sensible for five minutes? She's always messing things up. To be fair, it was pretty scary about Henry. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm not sure I'd trust the police to deal with it. No. A big, big sigh from Shirley. And at least he's safe in New York. Shirley nods, resigned. Reg is only just managing to hold his excitement down as the pair sit with cleared plates. Shirley takes pity and gestures with a side head nod. Gavin gets up to offer licking opportunities to the dog. He puts the kettle on. Oh, God, no, I can't drink any more tea. There's wine in the fridge. The house seems relieved to be occupied again. Its walls and creaking floors sulk in the cold weather when Shirley and the animals aren't there, giving it something to do. On the stairs, Cat holds her breath, listening to her sister and Gavin talk about her. She sighs, the comments being fair enough, and looks at Panko, expecting a purr or a bit of furry contact. Panko stares down the hall towards the door. His ears twitch. Come on then, Pank. Let's go. Come on. Look, Dindins, you can have a bit. Panko sniffs. He turns his head with disdain. All right then, more for me. Inside her room, and it is hers, even though she's not lived in it full time for five years or more, she stands by the back window eating, looking out over the garden and beyond. She can just see a corner of the wild area where the track runs. The lighting from the ginnel only just touches into it, and there's fog now. She closes the curtains and sits on the bed, back to the wall, and finishes her meal. She chews and rests her head back. Tanya, God! She chews her lip, sees her phone light up with messages about Padma's celebration, sees Tanya's contribution, shakes her head, does a kind of throaty, mouthy sigh, you know. <sighs> she shuts the app down and scrolls to a contact and presses call. Hi, Charles. Yeah. How is he? What? But he hasn't got a passport. How did he think? Oh, God. I'm sorry, Charles. Is Simon still okay with it? Oh, is he? I know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sorting something out so that we can move away, but... If he's that desperate to get back from another country, what use is moving cities going to be? Yeah. Listen, you remember Padma? Yeah. Well, she's dead. Yeah. No. Murdered. Yeah. Well, actually, Shirley and I were kind of witnesses. I, I mean, we didn't actually see it, but we heard stuff. It was horrible. And we saw someone run off and... Well, we saw her as she, you know, actually died. Yeah, yeah, actually it was really awful. I don't, 
No, I don't think I've properly thought about it since. We've just been dealing with stuff. Eric and Shirley's been demanding answers and... Oh, you know. Sorry. Oh, I'll, I'll be okay. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Anyway, I've got to tell Hen. Of course I have. I know. Yeah, okay. Well, is he there? Thanks, Charles. Hey! How's the escape plan coming? Hmm? Are you okay, though, really? All right. Anyway, listen. She's fine, Hen. I, I saw her today. Yeah. It's okay, I know. I know, but Hen... Henry, please listen. I've got something important to tell you. It's upsetting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not with you. It's Padma. She... Oh, I'm sorry, love. I'm so sorry. No, it was... Um, she was... Uh, she was... She was killed last night. Hen, are you there? Oh, Hen... Are you okay? It was at her house. She was... It seems she was stabbed. We don't really know what happened. It's awful. Yeah, everyone's in shock. No, she's gone away. I don't know. But Hen, look, I should tell you that Sally said she saw Al at Padma's. So the police do want to speak to her. But it's just routine, I think. You know, just to kind of cross her off the list. Yeah, if she comes back, I'll tell her you're asking. Of course I will. Oh, Henry, I know, I know you do, but it's for your own good. I know, I'm sorry. Oh, God, Henry, please, can't you just... She lowers the phone as she tries to collect herself. Sorry. Yeah, I'm here now. No, she's downstairs with Gavin. I'll get her to call you tomorrow, OK? No, I can't, all right? Henry, look, listen, Hen. I love you. I love you. You know that. I know I can be useless, but I'm trying my very, very best to sort something out for you so you're safe and can come home. OK? OK? There's a mouse. It's peeking out from behind the little paper bin in the corner of the room. Cat is absorbed in her conversation with her son, trying to explain about Padma and Al and the celebration and why he probably can't be there, but maybe, and... Oh, she's not very good at this, Cat. She actually wants to get off the phone, but she makes herself stay and talk to him. Why is he so difficult? So many questions and so suspicious of everything. She isn't strong enough for it. Never has been. The mouse sees this. He watches, shivering, his long whiskers trembling as he assesses his chances of making it out the door without being spotted. He waits for another wipe of the teary eyes and he's off, scurrying across the rug and onto the landing. The mouse skulks by the bathroom door. He observes Panko. Panko has yet to notice the mouse. He sits guard on his step halfway up the stairs. The spiders lurk, listening to Gavin and Shirley in the kitchen. 
You know, I'm not sure if Eric's actually having some kind of psychotic episode because of, well, it would be understandable, or if I've stepped through a portal into another dimension or something, or if that green stuff is actually highly narcotic. He was drinking it this morning. Shell, he's been saying some right strange things. I bet he has. He reckons he's conjured up all sorts of things just by telling stories. Henry's bracelet, for one. And the thing is, I did kind of believe him. When those crows were cackling about the place and the wind whipped up and then there at our feet was... And he's saying birds, animals, all sorts are his creations, like he's God or something. We all hallucinated flowers last night, didn't we? I wonder what's in that green stuff. Shirley waits for Gavin to finish speaking. He does conjure images into the world. Kind of. You believe that, do you? I wouldn't have thought you'd have believed that. Well, maybe you don't know me as well as you think you do, Gavin. Gavin flinches, a little stung. We've always kind of known about Eric and Padma and what they could do. I mean... I'm not sure if I've ever properly believed it as an adult, but as kids, we've always known something about it. Me and Kat, and Lewis, I think. All the kids that grew up round here. I thought you lived over in... Yeah, we did. We moved there when I was about 12 or so. But when my dad was alive, we lived round here in the flats, where Charity lives now. Reg puts his paws on Shirley's lap, clean plates shining on the floor. She strokes his head and his soft ears. They tell their stories at the theatre sometimes and at school fundraising events, that kind of thing. And my mum, she was, shall we say, spiritual. She was friends with Padma and with Eric and sometimes she'd take us round Eric's house for the evening and we'd run wild in that garden of his while they smoked and got into the groove or whatever, I don't know. Anyway, sometimes we'd climb up to his room at the top of the house and one of them would tell a story, usually about one of us kids. And these stories, they felt like they were being told about your own life that you just hadn't lived yet. And did he? Well, sometimes, yes. Not like the flowers, though. We didn't see things appear in the room like that. There's more to it, and less to it, actually. It's hard to explain. Shirley gathers her thoughts. I used to think about it a lot. I would go over and over in my mind, if what I remembered was real, or just my own memory, picking out the things it wants. But I think when we could picture ourselves in the story and it felt like what was being said was really going to happen, Then we became convinced, utterly, that it couldn't not become true. Like hypnotism. Kind of, I guess. But I remember when I overheard my mum and Padma talking once, and they mentioned a word. They were talking about different realities in art or something. About how to imitate reality. Mimesis. Shirley looks up, surprised. Mimesis. Yeah, I think that's it. 
Is that what Eric told you? He said it isn't quite that. It's something like that. But he also mentioned simulacra and mirages, I think. They sit there, contemplating this for a moment. So you didn't see things appear? No, we just... We just became aware that elements of that story had materialised, I suppose. Like what? All sorts. I don't know. Sometimes it was just something in the environment. Like once we saw parrots flying about in his trees after he'd been talking about them. But you do occasionally get flocks of parrots in Britain. But then... I can't say I remember... But there was a story that involved me on a bike. And when I got home, there was a bike. It wasn't new. It had been used. It was just my bike. But I can't remember ever actually getting it. Wow. But like I said, I don't think I ever saw anything that Eric or Padma actually conjured before. In the room, as it were. Not before those flowers. But I believed he could. I really did, when I was a child. Okay. So, are you saying this is more than hypnotism, more than the power of belief over reality, or not? Is Eric the Wizard of Oz, or a real wizard? No, he's not a wizard. And yes, it's more than just believing. Actually... It's this that makes me think that. Shirley holds up Henry's bracelet. Yeah, I know, but there could be a rational explanation for that. Shirley looks at him, running her tongue over her teeth. Yeah, okay. Well, there is this as well. She picks up her phone, clicks on the screen, turns it towards him. There they are, those beautiful flowers in full bloom, glowing softly in the low light of the evening in the crevices of Eric's lantern room. Gavin swallows, then he smiles. He does a little half laugh and tears spring to his eyes. He's a child again, a child who has just seen proof of magic. Shirley is smiling too, grinning and wiping at the tears falling down her face. What a thing to share, eh? What a little magical nugget of knowledge to share between two friends who love each other. Reg tries to lick the phone screen. Gavin sniffs and pats his head. Then his face falls a little as he thinks. Eric said there was something wrong with the flowers, though. He said they shouldn't have died so quickly. You know he was distressed last night, and he was going on and on about places on the track he'd never been, that now Padma had gone he didn't know what might happen if he went there. Yes, but he was talking about the track as a metaphor, wasn't he? A pause. Gavin looks at her. Eric's really worried. This morning, he tried to explain about these mims. What's? Mims, short for mimesis and all that gubbins, just a nickname. 
eye-rolling there from Shirley, not really what Gavin was hoping for at this point, so he shuffles forward on his seat, takes a gulp of the very nice wine. He says, the mims are out there. Shirley sighs and pulls her face into features, conveying her patient indulgence. Listen, we know they're out there, don't we? He jabs the phone screen, picks up the bracelet. Apparently, they're here, in our world. In the undergrowth or hanging about near the track, I don't know. Anyway, Eric says they're usually fine, apparently. When everything is in balance. Gavin, no, listen. Eric was saying that when a storyteller dies unexpectedly without a substitute, sorry, without anyone to take over for them, like an apprentice, I think, that means that the Mims lose their grounding and they kind of start casting about, I think, and they try to create new alliances and new stories. And then, he says, problems can start. What kind of problems? I don't know. Why not? Didn't you ask him? Gavin looks guilty. Well, we need to know, Gavin. Does it mean the things he conjured will be in danger? Sorry, I don't know. Why? We just need to know what's going to happen. Things that go bump in the night occasionally or the end of the world. Okay, okay. Sorry, I got a bit freaked out at the concept of all this stuff. Unlike you, I haven't known about all this for 40 years. Shirley sighs in frustration and indicates that he should continue with her eyebrows. Look, the Mims will be grieving like him, he says. They'll be in pain and confused, I guess. Shirley bites her lip and turns Henry's bracelet in her fingers. You okay? A quick nod. Okay. I think the track has to run between two or more people and it's the connection that's important. And the connection has been broken now. Only connect, Shirley says distantly. Room with a view. Shirley is impressed and smiles. I was thinking about Forster last night. You know that word glimmeringly? Yeah, okay, Gav. Gavin sits quietly, not wanting to annoy Shirley any further, but he can't help himself. You know those moths in the theatre? Yeah. What about them? Well, it's winter, isn't it? They shouldn't be awake, should they? It's weird. They're winter moths, you idiot. Are they? Yes. OK, so not the moths. But they were behaving strangely. Strangely compared to what? The usual behaviour of moths, you knowing all about that, being a lepidopterist and everything. Isn't that stamp collecting? No. Okay, all right, I'm not one of those. But they were committing lepidicide against the lantern's windows just now and Eric was really, really upset. And Charity said they were swirling around her just moths, Gavin, doing moth stuff. In a pretty big way. Granted, big moth moves have been taking place. But Gavin wants to chuckle, but... No, Cheryl, I know it sounds daft, but listen, 
There were the crows. Okay, the crows didn't really do anything weird, I suppose. But there's the track, too. The track is warm. The earth there. It's freezing outside, but the track itself is warm. Not just not cold. Warm like, well, like blood. There could be a a pipe. Yes, I know there could, but I don't think there is. He enjoys Shirley's eyes looking at him. The green liquid is warm too. Is... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why I nearly dropped that bottle. And the warm earth is really why Charity was freaked out. Well, that and the tinkling sound, and the fox, and the moths. Oh, is that why? What? You don't think Charity had anything? I don't know. You told her you didn't think she... I know, well, I don't know what's gone on, but I thought Charity could do with a bit of support at that point. But let's face it, that person who Cat and me saw run down Hawthorne, it could have been Charity. They were her size and build. I mean, I don't think I believe Charity has killed Padma in cold blood. That would be ridiculous. But there was... Something about her reaction when I mentioned Elle. And then when I told her it was Sally who'd named Elle, she looked like she'd seen a ghost. Okay. So, do you think you're Sherlock then? Oi! Shirley bats Gavin over the head, which he takes as a good sign. Playfulness and all that. They sit, listening to the buzz of the fridge. We'll have to speak to Eric tomorrow and ask him what will happen if we can't find Padma's... substitute. Her substitute, yes. Yeah, well, I've already looked into it, actually. And remember, if we find them soon, there'll be no need to panic. And how long have we got before we have permission to panic? God, it's like Dad's army, this. Did he tell you that much? Two days. Two days from nowish. So I called Lewis and I asked him who'd been visiting Padma recently. Gavin frowns a little. He said there were quite a few people. You know, he actually wasn't that helpful. She was always surrounded by people. Yeah, I know. But it's likely to be someone young, I think, from what Eric almost said. What about Elle? She's Eric's. Oh, is she? Right, that makes some sense, I suppose. Where did she spring from, though, eh? It's a bit odd, a young girl suddenly appearing like that and living in an old man's house, isn't it? Assuming he's not related to her. Yeah, it is. Okay, well, we'll ask him about that tomorrow. But we should call her now. Yeah, okay, in a sec. Who's on the list for Padma, then? Okay, well, some people from the book club, all older. Brandon, John, Cat, all not young. And Charity? Yeah. Not likely, is it? I don't know. Could be. Well, why didn't you ask her this afternoon? And say what? I was still trying to work out what was truth or fiction this afternoon. I mean, I get the feeling that she, I don't know, kind of felt something. Don't look like that. I think she was suspicious of what happened to her. She was jumpy, but 
she was also trying to be reassuring. Anyway, well, we can speak to her easily enough. I'll get her to come round for lunch tomorrow. Are you free? No, I've got a full day. Not done till six. Okay, well, dinner then? Two days, Cheryl. Otherwise, the Mims will misbehave. Gavin, don't. Sorry. Can you speak to her first thing? A nod. Great. Come on, give Elle a call. Shirley nods and finds Elle's number on her phone. No answer. Shirley hangs up and texts a message to the number. Why don't you just leave a voicemail? She's 16, Gavin. They don't use voicemail. Don't they? A smile between them again. Gavin is getting hopeful. I know we don't know exactly what will happen if we can't find the substitute, but I did at least try to find out how many of these things there are. He doesn't know. And they're not just inanimate objects and small creatures. I think there might even be people. Yeah. Gavin looks at Shirley, his mind ticking. He looks at the bracelet, still in Shirley's hands. But you knew that. Shirley looks up at him. Henry, he says. It's not like... It's not the same as... It's not the same as the flowers. Right. It's more... I don't know. It was kind of a suggestion. But Shirl... I mean, is he? Or isn't he? If he is, then... Won't he be feeling the same way as the other Mims? Don't call him that, Gavin. Sorry, I'm sorry, he takes her hand. But I'm only saying this because, well, he could be in pain, if what Eric says is true. Shirley nods slightly, trying not to cry. I should give this to Kat, but... Oh, God, Gav. Shirley has glistening eyes. She looks at him. Do you think Kat's told Henry about Padma? Asks Gavin. I expect so. Yeah, I guess she'll have called Charlie by now. Oh, God, I miss him so much, Gav. She should never have taken him back. I could have looked after him properly. Hey, hey, shh, 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 shh. And Gavin is on his feet and wraps his arms around her, kisses her head. She hugs him tight and they stay there a moment in the kitchen. Reg takes himself into the hall to give them some privacy. Then he shatters the moment by barking excitedly. Reg, stop that, says Shirley, to no avail. She disentangles herself from Gavin and steps out to see what's going on. It's almost a cartoon scene in the hall. Reg is giving it his best aggressive growly bark at the foot of the stairs, as Panko is meowing his way up and down the steps, trying desperately to catch hold of a mouse. Could this be the mouse from Cat's room? Yes, I would say so. The little rodent is scampering up a few steps, waiting for the cat to get within swiping distance, and then leaping artfully out of the way. There he goes right now, over Panko's head. The cat is dumbfounded. Reg tries his look. Up he scrambles, slipping on the painted wooden steps. The mouse does another flying leap over him, 
leaving him about to career into Panko, who rears up at the sight of the wire-haired mutt barrelling towards him, jumps and lands on Reggie's back, digging his claws in. There's a wild, screaming wail from both of them before Cat flings open her door. I'm on the phone. What's going on? Reg, come here, demands Shirley. There's a mouse, says Gavin. There's a mouse, Cat. The animals are excited. Sorry. I'll put Reg out if I can get hold of him. Ow! Panko, that's my hand you scratched. You okay? Can you try and get Reg? Gavin looks terrified. On second thoughts, get my gardening gloves from under the sink. Sir, says Gavin, clearly enjoying himself, despite the blood and fur flying. Cat is still at the top of the stairs. Shirley, what's that mouse doing? Look! She points urgently at the wall, where the mouse, are you thinking what I'm thinking, is scaling the wallpaper with its little clawed feet until it gets to the top of a picture frame. It stops and rests, jiggling its little whiskers, showing its little teeth every now and again. Reg escapes the flailing daggers that are the ends of Panko's paws by finally discovering his reverse gear and backing down the stairs. Panko checks about himself for other animals or humans stupid enough to approach him. Gavin re-enters from the kitchen, his gloved hands big and daft, ready to be deployed. They all stare at the mouse. Panko growls, flattens his ears, readies himself. Reg creeps out of Panko's line of attack and then sees what Panko sees. Another mouse, smaller, such a wee thing. It drops down from behind the radiator and plops onto the carpet with a puff of dust. It sits up, gives itself a little clean and looks about, clocks its audience, bears its little teeth and off it goes, up the wallpaper to join its friend. Reg whines. Panko meows. Um, says Gavin. What is happening? says Cat. I think, shh, says Shirley quietly, and turns to show her eyes to Gavin, which say, don't say it. What? demands Cat. I don't know, says Gavin defensively. Mouse mania, how do I know? And another little furry fella seems to hear this and emerges from the plant pot at the foot of the stairs. At the same time, two more scurry out from the bottom of the curtain by the door. Oh, says Shirley. Reg, go on, get them. Reg declines politely and sits down. I think Panko might be your best bet, says Gavin. But Panko is looking more and more bewildered. Surely these mice should be scared of him. There are now seven mice, all squeezed onto the top of the picture frame that surrounds a print of one of David Hockney's Yorkshire landscapes. They preen and occasionally teeter. It looks like they've met up for a night out and are waiting at the bus stop. There's also a very slight, but just about discernible, sound coming from them, like a very faint, faraway chatter. Everyone is waiting for something to happen. And then, bang, right in the middle of the glass on the door. One of the mice drops onto the floor in shock. Cat screams, as does Gavin. Shirley hits him involuntarily. Sorry, she says. What was that? 
Reg starts barking again. Panko races down to claim the fallen rodent, but it's up on its hind legs and spitting at him. Panko careers to a halt. Go and see what it was, Gav. Why me? There's a flopping, flapping sound coming from the front step. Sounds like a bird, maybe. Please, go and see. Shirley grabs Reg bodily and shoves him into the kitchen, closing the door. Go on. But what about the... Gavin motions to the line of mice clinging onto the picture frame. They won't hurt you. Gavin looks astounded at this assertion. Um, he gestures theatrically towards the scene taking place on the hall floor, where one of the mouse contingent is actually standing off against Rowan Drive's most notorious killer of small mammals and birds, and winning, it seems. Shirley gives him a little push. He edges forwards, gloved hands held out to defend himself. The mice watch him as he passes under them, and he makes it, checking over his shoulder that they're still in place as he draws back the curtain to observe the front step. Cat sees her opportunity for heroism, and while the mice are distracted, picks up one of Panko's fish toys and launches it at the colony of creatures atop the hockney. Why? I don't think we'll ever really know. I suspect it was just something that Cat was always going to do. Cat being Cat. The fish hits its mark, and the mice scatter into the atmosphere, as Gavin says, It's that bat! That's the one that tried to dive-bomb me, I'm sure of it. The bat is testing its wings out, after it had clearly flown directly into Shirley's front door. Then a dark shadow blocks the light from the street, briefly, as it finds its wings and lifts up. One or two of the mice flail through the air, and slam into the back of Gavin's head. Ow! Oh! he says, realising. He turns and flattens himself against the door, brushing himself frantically for clinging mice. Another massive bang on the door, right behind Gavin. Another, ah! from Gavin, understandably. Shirley cringes and looks at Cat, who has her hands over her mouth, realising that she has unleashed carnage. Panko's nemesis has taken off in the confusion, and Panko is now leaping about, trying to rescue his reputation and hook just one of these damned things. The mice are running, shall we say, amok? Yes, amok would be a good word, I think. Utterly amok. Gavin is hysterical, and with good reason, because the mice now appear to be trying to get up his trouser legs. He says again. Help! Shell! What shall we do? Asks Cat, trying to suppress laughter. Don't laugh! Says Gavin, appalled. Ah! Ah! ah it's a cause! Panko approaches the mouse trouser portal and takes up his pre-pounce pose. Shirley tries to help. No, Panko! Stay, Panko! Cat is about to wet herself. You're not helping, says Shirley, who is beginning to dissolve herself. Panko remains poised, but Gavin's face slowly changes as he realises that all of the mice must now be within his trouser space and that they have stopped moving. Gav, says Cat, 
just about controlling her voice. What? hisses Gavin. Are they all up there? In Trouserland? Stop laughing. Shirley, don't you join in. Sorry, I can't help it. I've got an idea. No, says Gavin. Just stay out of it. I've got seven mice up me, Jaxie, because of your last idea. Shirley lets out a squeak. Sorry, Gav. She's not sorry. But honestly, <laughs> what is it? Shirley manages to get out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cat calms herself enough to articulate. Open the front door and step outside and slowly take your trousers off. <laughs> The girls dissolve into giggles. Reg starts barking again from behind the kitchen door. No, says Gavin. Shirley gets a grip of herself. I think that might work. But the bat. Oh, yeah. Shit. The bat. Gavin's face suddenly calms. Oh, my God. The bats are Mim, and these are obviously Mims, and, oh God, it's happening. The Mims are joining forces, like Eric said. That's taken the smile from Shirley's face. Don't. What? What did Eric say? Asks Cat. Nothing. It's not nothing, says Gavin. He said the Mim, the things, like the flowers, anything like that, will be getting upset and uh, discombobulated and we have to stop them from joining together with other mims. Things like that. Otherwise, well, I don't know, but it's not good. Henry, says Cat, almost bereft. He's not a mim, says Shirley. But he's, he's not a mim. Well, what's the definition of a bloody mim then? Cat raises her voice. Please, shouts Gavin. Can I be divested of these mice? Well, do as Cat says then, shouts back Shirley. Silence, as Gavin realises he's going to have to do something. Shirley says, oh, for God's sake, come on. And she marches forward, picks up Panko by his scruff, launches him onto the sofa in the front room, shuts the door, reaches behind Gavin to pull open the curtain and the front door, turns Gavin roughly and shoves him outside. The bat grazes Gavin's head as he almost completes his third attack on the door, but pulls up short and goes for another circle above them. Gavin tries to undo his trousers, but the gloves won't let him, so Shirley, still in no-nonsense mode, reaches round from behind and undoes his fly and button. She's done that before, that was very deft, and yanks his trousers down. The mice stream forth, just as the bat zooms low over them and they disappear into the fog, gathered by the passage between the two houses at the end of the cul-de-sac. Evening, Gav. Shirley, says Mick, as he stops on his way back to his house with Violet, the wheezing French bulldog. Mick, says Gav, covering his exposed underwear with Shirley's gardening gloves. Night, Mick says Shirley, as she gently pulls Gavin back inside and closes the door. Outside, Mick looks about himself for anyone else who has witnessed the madness of his neighbours, but without corroboration, he continues to his front door, having to pull Violet slightly as she stands her ground, 
attention on the swirling fog at the end of the road. There is a breeze, and we can begin to see through the white haze as it succumbs to the moving air, through into the back gardens of Rowan Drive and over the hedges and fences and into the wild patch of land where the mice and the bats are cavorting along the old, dark track. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that so many people want to continue listening to the stories. I need some support to keep going on, though. I really need people to start liking and sharing and reviewing if you've got time. Or just give us a rating. Everything you could do like that would help no end. So please, if you can, do that for me. Thanks ever so much. See you next time. You have been listening to Low Light, written, performed and produced by Melanie Crawley for Crawley Voice Studio. Find out more at crawleyvoicestudio.com. Thank you.